Let's come before our Father in prayer. O Lord, our Father, our King of kings and Lord of lords, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Even the wrath of men praises you, you have told us. Our foolishness and our weakness and our rebellion does not tear you off the throne. You still govern all things so that rain and drought, sickness and health, food and drink, fruitful and barren years, even fire seasons and viruses come not by chance but by your fatherly hand. So even though we cannot understand your ways and cannot see the end from the beginning, yet we know that it is for our good and so we rest in you and trust in your promises. We see all around us your mighty power and the strength of your arm. And we plead, Father, for mercy. We have done foolishly. We have rebelled against your holy name. We have fled from you when you have shown us nothing but good. And now we are full of turmoil and discontent and impatience. And we turn again to you for mercy. We remember that your mercy is new every morning. That you delight to forgive sinners that you are most eager to welcome us into your embrace. And so we come to you again. Teach us, Father, to hallow and magnify your name. Teach us to glory in you alone, that you exercise justice and righteousness and loving kindness in the earth. Teach us to rest. We plead with you not to impute to us our transgressions. We plead with you not to treat us as we deserve the but that you would treat us according to mercy and faithfulness. Give rest and safety to the many who are fighting the fires in our communities. Provide comfort and provision to the people of weed and send favorable weather conditions. We don't deserve that mercy for our sins against you are many, but your mercy is great. For where sin is much, grace is much, much more. And so pour out your kindness and grace upon us today. Give comfort to Larry and to his mother and to their family. Enable Steve to get the care that he needs and heal his eye. Give strength to Hugo and to Bud. Provide for Roger. Give to all of us our daily bread. We pray that Maggie's tests will reveal what is ailing her and give her doctor's wisdom. And for all of us, Father, give patience and peace in each of the particular trials that you have called us to. Teach us to trust in you and your provision. Open our arms wide in this community. Awaken in us a right spirit, a spirit of peace and love and rest and patience. And bless our witness. May we be lights in this dark world. May we reflect our hope to everyone around us, for we look to you. Tear down our trust and power and dominion. Forgive us for the sin of racism and nationalism and heal the wounds that we have brought upon ourselves through entitlement and pride and delusions of supremacy we eagerly await that day when all that is wrong will be made right when all tears are wiped away and our bodies are raised incorruptible but most of all father how we long to be in your presence free from sin and shame and guilt and until that day father we run the race that is set before us we work with our hands the things that are good and we occupy with the callings that you have given us and deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from wicked men who devour and destroy. And may your kingdom come. Bless the reading and preaching of the word today. Guide my lips. Give us ears to hear. And let's pray together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. 
O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. My scripture reading this morning is John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. This event takes place in what uh, John calls the Feast of Dedication. Today we call it the Festival of Hanukkah. Uh, It's been going on since Jesus' time, and Jesus was at the temple. Uh, So it would have been in December. Uh, Verse 22 of John chapter 10. Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ... Tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And my text this morning is Psalm 121. I've preached on this psalm uh, before. It's been a while. Uh, I needed to be reminded of it. I saw some new things in it that I hadn't seen before, and I thought you would be edified uh, from Psalm 121. I've printed it on the back of your bulletin. It will help if you have it in front of you as I preach through this so you can refer to it as I go through the sermon. Psalm 121, a song a song of ascents. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going in and your coming out from this time forth even forevermore. This is the psalm of a traveler in the days that it was written all of Jerusalem would all all of Israel would travel to Jerusalem three times a year for the feasts in those days of course you didn't have cars or airplanes or trains or even donkeys or mules unless you were wealthy if you were making a journey you would be walking so imagine if you will you're making your journey to Jerusalem you have your family with you The road is long and dangerous. There might be bandits along the way. During the day, the sun is so hot, sunstroke would be a real problem. But then the night comes. At first in the evening, you're thankful to be free from the searing heat. But then the temperatures would drop dramatically. There are no lights. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where there were no lights place without lights or harder and harder to come by. Wild animals and wild people 
would sometimes make their appearance at night. The temperatures would be freezing. As you are traveling to Jerusalem, you would put up a rough shelter for the night, and you and your traveling companions would take turns to watch for bandits or for animals, and there would be so many dangers to watch out for. And as you drift off to sleep, it would be only natural to wonder, will I be safe? Will the watchman stay awake? Will my wife and my kids be safe? And in the morning, the sun begins to rise and you begin your journey again. And as you're walking mile after mile, you daydream to yourself. As you get closer and closer to Jerusalem, you begin to travel through the hill country of Ephraim. You make your way through the valleys and looking at the mountains around you, you start to wonder what new dangers might be awaiting you from the tops of the mountains. You lift up your eyes in fear at what dangers might be above you, hidden in the mountains. And then you look towards Jerusalem. (coughs) Jerusalem is the end of your journey. Jerusalem was the highest point. It was a strong, fortified city. In Jerusalem, you are safe. And so you start to daydream as you make your way. You plan against any attacks in your mind. What if the bandits come? What will I do? What if wild animals come? What will I do? All of these things come to mind as you read through this masterful psalm. You imagine the psalmist traveling and wondering the same thing. It's called a psalm of ascent, a psalm for the going up to Jerusalem. As Revelation progresses and teaches us throughout the years, We begin to see, especially as we get into the New Testament, that the temple in Jerusalem was a type. It was a picture that pointed to something else. It was fulfilled in Christ, the true temple of God. The Holy Spirit descended on him and he became the temple of God. His body was the temple of the living God. When Jesus called his disciples, he told them, follow me. In John 10, which we read a moment ago, he said, My sheep are those who follow me. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. So these psalms of ascents are psalms of pilgrims on the way. In the New Covenant, it's for those who are following Christ and heading to the New Jerusalem. And we know that when we follow Christ in this journey on earth, it gets very scary. The heat is frequently on. The future is dark. Enemies threatened. We don't know what's around every corner. We don't know what's through the dark valley. In our studies through the book of Luke, even Christ said, if you follow me, you don't know what's coming. I'm not going to dominion. I'm going to the cross. He said, count the cost. How can we follow Christ through the dark valleys unless we're certain where our help comes from. And that's what this psalm is about. He says, my help is from the Lord. The Lord, Jehovah God, the name of God, in the middle of his worries, in the middle of his plans and his schemes, he catches himself thinking that his protection would come from the earth, from the walls of Jerusalem, from the caves and the mountains. And in the middle of that, he stops abruptly and says, but where does my help really come from? And he answers quite simply, my help is from the Lord. 
He remembers the covenant name of God who revealed himself to Israel as I am who I am. It was this God who went with them through the wilderness. It was this God who defeated our enemies and gave us rest, who gave us the land, who watched over us, who preserved us. It wasn't because the hills of Jerusalem were more powerful than all the other hills. Their life and their existence was only because God himself, the shield and protector of Israel, was with them. This is what God meant when he said, I will be your God and you shall be my people. But he goes on, the God of Israel is not just the God of the land of Canaan. He's no ancient tribal deity. He is the creator of heaven and earth. My help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So then what is more powerful than God? What will come from the hills that God doesn't already know of? What will hinder him? What wild beasts will move apart from his decree? What wicked men will act apart from his decree? Oftentimes we catch ourselves acting as if there is no God. We see the regular movement of creation, the rising of the sun, the movements of the moon. We see the effects of gravity. We watch as (coughs) natural forces seem to operate on their own. And sometimes we get caught up in the seeming clockwork of the universe And forget that there is a creator of heaven and earth who is infinitely wise, infinitely holy, infinitely powerful. All things were made by him, the scripture tells us, and without him was not anything made that was made. He is a God of order, so his works in creation can be measured, can be observed, can even be predicted to a certain extent. For he made all things to be discovered by men. So we can count We can predict that gravity will work the same as always, for it is God who sustains the heavens and the earth. We can discover the movement of atoms and the growth of trees and the right seasons for planting and harvesting. We can even graft plants together and predict the results. The only reason we can do that is because God created and sustains everything. Ultimately, we are not in a world of chance that we are provided for by a heavenly Father who is our God. He has promised that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us, that he will never allow harm to come to us. Not even our foot will stumble. When he says he will not give your foot to slipping, he means that you will be completely safe in this journey. If you were attacked on the road, a slip of the foot could be fatal. This is what the psalmist has in mind. This phrase, the foot slipping, is used throughout the Old Testament to refer to a catastrophic disaster, one that is fatal, from which there is no recovery. There are many times in our lives when we believe that this is not true. Don't we slip often? And we often feel as if it may be catastrophic, except for the promise of God. We often feel as if we are slipping and sliding around, but it's simply God is sometimes shaking us. We do like to wander. Our foot often wanders to dangerous ground. We're afraid, so sometimes we wander off to places that we think are better or safer. In other words, we believe and act on those things that 
would be fatal to us, except God has placed us on solid ground. And he says, I will not allow your foot to be moved. Or as Jesus said, not one of my sheep will ever perish. And the reason that we can be so confident is that God is never sleepy. There's an old hymn, His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. And sometimes we think of that phrase as if God is simply in heaven watching what happens. As if he is saying, whoops, there's another sparrow down. I guess I forgot that one. But that's not God. God does not simply watch what's going on in the world. We as parents will often say, that's the last straw. But God doesn't have a last straw. He's infinite in power. In fact, all things are so in his hand that without his will, not even a hair can fall from our head without his will. He never sleeps. He never gets weary. Men get weary. We fall asleep on our watch. God never does. God never lets his attention wander. All of us have limited attention spans. Most of us can hardly pay attention to two things at once. Some people are more skilled and can pay attention to three things. Most of us have about two things we can pay attention to. We've invented all sorts of things so that we can take our mind off of the mundane things and concentrate on more serious things. We've invented thermostats, we've invented timers, we've invented calendars, all sorts of checks and balances where we automate as much as possible so that our minds can be occupied with other things because we know it's likely that we'll forget to adjust our air conditioner or it's likely that we will forget to turn the heater off. But God doesn't automate anything. This was the mistake of the deists. They thought that God simply automated the world. God automates nothing. Every single detail has his immediate care and attention. This is what we mean when we confess that God is infinite. He has no boundaries. There is no limit to his attention span. Or to say it poetically, he never slumbers. He never sleeps. He doesn't take a day off. He isn't preoccupied elsewhere. He doesn't have better things to do. God's infinity means that all of God is present, undivided in every space and in every time, that you always have God's undivided attention. Of course, we know that everyone has God's undivided attention. But to the believer, his undivided attention is the attention of favor and love and fatherhood. Which is why the psalmist says he is the keeper of Israel. The word keeper in various forms is used six times in this little psalm. It can mean to preserve, to guard, to keep, or to protect. What God keeps will never get away. What God preserves will never spoil. What God guards is protected from every enemy. And what God protects will never come to any harm. Men fall asleep. Men are overcome by enemies stronger than they are. Men are taken by surprise. Men stumble. 
Men forget to put the milk back in the refrigerator and it spoils. But God is the keeper of Israel. He doesn't forget. He isn't taken unawares. He doesn't have enemies that he's unwilling or unable to defeat. He says, my counsel will stand. I will do all my good pleasure. And what is his pleasure? He told us, Jesus said, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We are going to Jerusalem. God has plans for Israel. They were his special people, his nation. He said through Moses, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. They were his chosen. They were the ones that God revealed himself to. They had the promises. They had God's protection and God's favor. But most of them rejected God. They didn't seek him. They despised his favor and protection. Jesus told the Pharisees that they didn't hear because they weren't his sheep. This would have been shocking to the Pharisees who their whole lives were told that because they were descendants of Abraham, they were automatically the sheep of God. But this was not the case. As Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. This is true Israel. Those who hear and follow Jesus. The Jews of Jesus didn't hear Moses and his prophets, or Moses and the prophets, and so they didn't hear the Son. The sheep, on the other hand, hear because they are his sheep. And they are his sheep because the Father gave them to him. In other words, we love him because he first loved us, and we follow that which we love. That's human nature. But as we follow our Lord, we know that to follow him means oftentimes going through dark valleys. Just why Jesus said, count the cost. We follow, and as we follow, we are oftentimes afraid and anxious and trembling and surrounded by dangers, just like the traveler of old walking to Jerusalem, which is why this psalm repeats I am the keeper of Israel. All who hear my voice will follow me, and I will keep them. And if God is our keeper, what can harm us when the creator and sustainer of all is our guide, our king, our keeper, and our father? As First Peter, as First Peter tells us, who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Not even the sun or moon can harm us, for God is our shade. This is a reminder of another time when Israel traveled for 40 years through the wilderness. God went with them as a pillar of cloud during the day, and not one of them suffered from heat stroke. He went as a pillar of fire in the night, and so not one of them froze to death, and not one enemy took them by surprise. As God would say later, if God be for us, who can be against us? This does not mean that we will never be inconvenienced, nor does it mean that God will always do what we want him to do, but he will always lead us to Jerusalem. It means that there is not one detail, either large or great, that is outside of God's decree, and it is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. 
And so we know that everything in our life works to that end. If we go astray, we are brought back. If we sin, we are made to fear and tremble and brought to repentance. If we are unbelieving and doubtful, he shakes all around us until our feet are again on solid ground. Everything will work God's purposes in our lives. And that purpose is to bring us to himself. The end goal of this life is the embrace of our Father. And so he preserves us from all evil. The word evil there means any calamity, any attack, any failing. It is used for spoiled produce, spoiled milk, destroyed cities, chaotic and violent weather, wildfires, as well as for moral bankruptcy. He preserves us from every disaster, every calamity, every part of the curse that is on the world. He preserves us from every attack of Satan, the evil of the world, the sin that dwells in our own heart. And yes, he allows those things to touch us so that we will never wander too far from him. He allows those things to touch us so that we will keep our eyes focused on our heavenly home. He allows those things to touch us so that we will not be overcome with pride. God knows our pride too. He still preserves us. He uses the threatenings of the law to strike fear in our hearts and to draw us back. He uses the preaching of the gospel to bring us back. He sweetly invites our wills to bend and gives us a new heart and a new spirit to draw us back to himself. He stirs us up to prayer and he hears us and he delivers us every time. And on this earth, we often limp after wrestling with God. We're not the first to do so, nor will we be the last. But we will prevail for Christ has already won. And so our souls and our very lives are so ingrained on his hand. We are his and nothing can take us away. We can rest securely in his never-changing, almighty, infinite love and care for each one of us. When the Bible teaches that, there are always those who get a little bit nervous that maybe somebody will take advantage of that and start to sin with impunity. As the Catechism says, does this doctrine make men careless and profane? The answer is no, it's impossible for those who are engrafted into Christ not to bring forth fruits of thanksgiving. As his people, God knows us far better than we know ourselves because he made us. He knows what we do. He knows what we would do if he allowed us to do it. How many times do we get irritated because we are inconvenienced by our cars not starting when they should? Slow lines at the store. Illnesses that keep us in bed. We make our decisions and God sometimes prevents them. Because God knows what we would do, what dangers surround us. And remember, it is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. So even the psalmist, so the psalmist even takes our fickle wills into consideration when he says he preserves your coming in and your going out. Those are the decisions we make every day. Shall I go outside of the house today or shall I go home today? Am I finished? Shall I go back? Shall I go? It's all the decisions we make every day. Not even those decisions can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. For he gives us new hearts and a new spirit 
It's impossible that those engrafted into Christ should not bring forth fruits of thanksgiving. As Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And this care and this protection and this love will never cease. God will do all his good pleasure. And it is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Do we trust him enough then to take our eyes off the dangers of the hills? And so we follow him as becomes those who bear his name. We can, because he's faithful and never allows our foot to slip. The valleys are often dark. The pain in this cursed world is real. We're traveling to the wedding supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the new Jerusalem. We aren't there yet. In this earth, the sun still gets hot. The nights still get very, very dark. And so again, we're reminded of this psalm. Hold to these words as we follow Christ. That he will never leave us or forsake us. He will not allow our foot to stumble. He will preserve our going in and our coming out. And the day will come when the Father will run out of his house to greet us. He'll sweep us up in his embrace and we will rest in his arms forever. As Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. In a culture obsessed with leadership, we as Christ's people should strive to become good followers, for that's where our blessedness lies. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, teach us to follow your voice wherever you would lead us. We pray that you would forgive our sins and forgive our stubbornness and continue to guide and preserve and direct our steps. Watch over us. Bring us safely home. In Jesus' name, amen.